It was an unhappy return for Declan Rice to the London Stadium as Arsenal crash out of the cup. So who's responsible? Arteta, the players, both will break it down on this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast right here uh, on YouTube with you at the moment. Big hello to everybody that will be tuning in uh, a little bit later on via YouTube or, of course, uh, via the audio platforms. Uh, good to see so many of you with me bright and early on this Thursday morning. Apologies for not getting the pod out last night. I did hope uh, to sort of come home uh, from watching the game and, and sit down and record it. As you can probably tell by my voice, though, I'm really, really struggling with my throat. And it's always when I've got the busiest days that this happens to me. Um, I've got a really busy day today. I've got a radio show tomorrow for three hours, followed by a full game commentary uh, tomorrow night. And it's like whenever I get these types of days where I really need my throat to be nice and fresh and ready, I get ill. So I have to thank my kids for that, uh, for bringing home all sorts from nursery on a weekly basis, which is always the case. I can take the lack of sleep. I can take... Um, the attention that they need. I can take the running around and uh, and playing with them and all the rest of it. It's just this bit that drives me mad. So as you can tell, I'm not in a great mood this morning. And what I've witnessed last night, of course, adds to that. We're going to break it all down on this episode of the podcast. We're going to discuss Arsenal's 3-1 defeat at the London Stadium. We're going to talk the story of the game. We're going to discuss uh, Mikel Arteta, some of the decisions that he made baffled me, to say the least. We're going to talk about some of the individual performances. Um, and yeah, we're going to take some of your questions and thoughts from the live chat as well. So please do get involved. Again, apologies for the slightly earlier uh, stream time, but I do have to get off uh, to work, which is um, which is why I'm doing it uh, that little bit earlier. Uh, let's say a few hellos. Jimmy Flo is with us. He says, uh, hi, Harry. I'm happy with the result. The lad's got some game time and now we move on to the next game. I don't know if I can say I'm happy with it. What I will say is that I did say in the preview show that I wasn't that fussed about this competition, and I stick by that. It's not a competition that I look at and see as a priority. It's not a competition that I'm desperate to win. Um, it'd be nice to win it because, as I've mentioned before, I've never seen Arsenal win this particular trophy. But given what I said and given how I was genuinely feeling the other day, I can't look at this and say, oh, my God, this is a disaster. Let's start asking serious questions of the manager. I think we can ask questions about this game in isolation and we'll do that. And I think that's the right thing to do. But I'm not going to go overboard on it. Bernard says another season we go trophyless. I mean, Bernard, I would rather go one more round in the Champions League than win this trophy. And I genuinely mean that. And I know some people would disagree with that, but I genuinely um, do mean that. I'd rather go rather than the quarterfinals to the semifinals, then win this trophy. I honestly mean that because to me, the value of the Champions League is up here and the, the Carabao Cup, EFL Cup, whatever you want to call it, is right down here. Plus, had we got through, we'd have got Liverpool in the next round um, away from home. And going to Anfield once in a season looking for a result is bad enough, let alone having to do it twice. That's not to kind of excuse it or anything, but... I can't like sit here. Sorry, my phone's ringing and I forgot to put it on silent. Terrible. How unprofessional. The, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, we'd have probably gone out in the next round anyway, because we'd have got to a place where we were going to end up meeting Liverpool twice at Anfield within a short period of time. And, you know, we'd have had to rotate in one of those games heavily, which would severely weaken us. And, you know, this one would have been 
the one that got pushed to the back of the queue. This one would have been the one that was deemed as less significant. Henry says, uh, morning H, not a good night against the Essex boys, but when I see the team, I was happy. Let's be honest, we needed to rotate. He gets stick for not doing it and doing it. Uh, VAR would have stopped the first goal. We're going to come onto that in a bit. Noonan says, uh, bigger fish to fry. Halo says, morning, Mickey Mouse Cup doesn't mean much. That said, the result wasn't flattering. West Ham is on. Um, is out in the next round anyway. No way they win at Anfield. So a bit of a mixed response on this. Some people are, um, are happy with the fact that we're out. I'm not going to say happy, but okay with the fact that we're out. Um, and others uh, look at it and think, well, you know, this this was a big opportunity missed. We'll, we'll get onto it and, and we'll discuss it in a lot more detail, of course, throughout the programme. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do like the video and subscribe to the channel if you're brand new. Also, check out uh, the piece of content that we put out yesterday with regards to Thomas Partey. I think you'll enjoy that one. We've got some positive feedback in the comments. Okay, so let's start off with the team selection. I think that's the best place to start. Look, Mikel Arteta was always going to rotate in this game. He was always going to make changes. And I think one of the big reasons that people are finding this quite difficult to process is because we rotated at the weekend in the Premier League and actually it worked and we got away with it. And, you know, we were able to put in not a great performance in the first half, but a, a very strong performance once we got our noses in front. And at that point, the game was never in doubt. We kept going, we kept pushing, we kept scoring, we kept um, hurting Sheffield United and, and we showed a relentlessness to our game that maybe has been lacking at times this season. And it's prompted people to ask the question, are Arsenal as good as they were last season? What I think the difference between Saturday was and last night is that you have to know and recognise the strength and the quality of your opposition. That's really, really important. You have to be able to recognise and, and determine what the right level of rotation is for certain fixtures. That's really, really key and really, really important. And I've always said, actually, if you go back to previous episodes in previous years, that if I was going to be critical of Mikel Arteta on one thing, it would be that I don't think he rotates as effectively as a manager as others do. Now, in the past, I looked at that and it was a bit of a red flag for me, but I always put it down to predominantly and primarily the fact that he didn't have really a deep enough squad to be able to make wholesale changes without the the level really dropping off and people have sort of come off the back of yesterday's game and are now saying well the squad's depth is not good enough and the strength is not there and all the rest of it three days ago you were saying it was so which is it I don't think it's necessarily about the individual level and individual quality of some of those squad players Leandro Trossard had an absolute stinker last night we'll talk about him in a bit but we know that he's a quality player we know that Fabio Vieira is talented. He's shown that. But he didn't have a good game last night. We know that Reese Nelson can impact, but he didn't do it last night. We know that, you know, Jakob Kivior is a decent centre-back. I actually thought he was one of the few players that came out of yesterday's game with some credit. Um, you know, the, the point I'm trying to make here, guys, is that... And also, sorry, everybody's been talking about Aaron Ramsdale and, and insisting that he should be the number one. Well, then how can you say that we don't have the depth to cope with rotation? The problem here, in my opinion, is not with regards to the individuals per se. I think some of them can still be upgraded on. I think some of them had a really bad night last night and need to be held accountable for that. But I think it's about the balance with regards to 
how Mikel Arteta rotates. So you can make heavy rotation at home to Sheffield United. And because of the level of the opposition, because you're playing at Emirates Stadium, you will get away with it. But you had to recognise and had to realise that going into a game against West Ham United, particularly at the London Stadium, a West Ham United side who are of a much higher calibre than Sheffield United, despite them being on a sort of poor run of form in recent weeks, you were not going to be able to do the same thing. You were not going to be able to rotate more and get away with it. So you kind of either go, well, this is where I see this competition in the priority list. It's right at the bottom. This is the team I'm going to pick. If we get through happy days, if we don't, um, then whatever. But then the way Mikel Arteta sort of proceeded to try and correct things by bringing on Declan Rice and Tommy Asu, who have to start at St. James's Park for me, by bringing on Saka and Martinelli at 3-0 down and then Martinelli got, it made me think that maybe he did think that he was going to get away with that level of rotation in this fixture, which just was simply never going to be the case. I sat down and I watched the game last night. I didn't end up going to the game last night. Um, I've been under the weather in this past 24 hours, to say the least. And um, I, I sat down and I, I watched the game with my dad and my two brothers. Um, and as soon as the team news came out, I turned around to all of them and I said, we're out. And they said, why? Stop being so negative. It's not like you to be negative. You're not normally a glass half empty kind of guy. But the reason I felt that was mainly because of the midfield. You know, when I did my team for this game, when I picked my 11, which we always do on the preview shows. And it, again, it is my 11 rather than what I expect necessarily to be selected. This is what I went with to remind you. I went with Ramsdale in goal. I went with Kivior, Gabriel, uh, Tommy Asu and White as the back four. So the only change was Tommy Asu instead of Zinchenko, because I felt we needed that bit of extra steel height power away at the London Stadium. My midfield was Jorginho and Havertz, which Mikel Arteta picked, but with Declan Rice, because I felt that we needed that presence. We needed that control. We needed that dominance. Yes, I want to wrap Declan Rice up in cotton wool because of the injury to Thomas Partey, but I felt that that was the only way we were going to be competitive on the night. I included Fabio Vieira in my team, but I included him from a wide position. I included Nketia and I included Trossard. But just a couple of those changes, Tommy Asu and Rice being in, would have made a difference. And the reason you know it would have made a difference and you know that Mikel Arteta thought it would make a difference was because when we went 2-0 down, who were the first two players that he brought on? Those two. Because he recognised that the midfield wasn't strong enough, which we said was going to be the case before the game if he didn't go in that team. And he recognised that Zinchenko was a weak link. So actually seeing him do that gave me more confidence in that my initial opinion on this was probably right. You know, if you look at the match stats, we had 14 attempts at goal, but only three of them were on target. We had nine more attempts overall than West Ham. We had 72% of the possession. We played triple the amount of passes that they did. Our pass accuracy was much higher than theirs. But we didn't turn it into anything. And that's been a problem for Arsenal this season. Possession, possession, possession. But are we turning it into something else? And I watched a really good video yesterday on Tifo Island. Um where they sort of broke down what the difference is between Arsenal this season and last season. And they talked a lot about the kind of XG with regards to goals conceded coming down, which is good, but that we were flatlining the other way around in terms of goals that we we're expected to score. And a lot of that was put down to some of the reasons that we discussed actually on this podcast 
uh, when we were talking about Martin Odegaard not progressing the ball through the thirds quick enough, through the lines quick enough, all of that stuff. And again, that was evident to see. I just feel like my overriding feeling from last night is you need to find the right balance when you rotate. And on top of that, players that get given opportunities like they did last night, fringe players, that is, they need to be able to take those opportunities and give Mikel Arteta a headache. Now, they're fringe players for a reason. I wasn't expecting them to go there and win 5-0, but I was expecting them to be a bit more competitive. I was expecting the general level of performance to be higher. And unfortunately, it just wasn't. So, you know, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to unpick. Mikel Arteta, after the game, said, you know, it's my responsibility. I think he knows that he probably over-rotated. I think he knows that he picked too weak a side. I also think he was absolutely livid with the players because he felt that they'd let him down and not delivered um, what was expected of them. He felt that he had, you know, prepared them in the correct way, that he had given them all the information they needed and warned them about the type of challenge they were going to face against a David Moyes side under the lights in a cup tie and they just didn't respond to it. Now, West Ham, it has to be said, picked a strong side, a very, very strong side, much stronger than I expected. But David Moyes kind of needed that result, didn't he? And I talked about it in the preview show. I said to you guys that actually the fact that West Ham are, are on a little bit of a bad run is probably going to work to their advantage and our disadvantage because they will probably look at it and go, well, you know, we might have gone 75% in this game, but if we can go 100% and we can win it, all of a sudden the mood around the club shifts and changes because Arsenal are a big scalp again. If you beat Arsenal, that is a massive boost again, as it was years and years ago, because as we keep saying, Arsenal are back. So that worked against us. And I think David Moyes' team selection, again, proved what I was saying in the build-up. This is a guy who looked at it and went, if we can, if we can get a result here, all of a sudden the cloud that is hanging over West Ham United at this moment in time lifts, goes away, and we can get on with our season. We're going to talk about the story of the game uh, with regards to the goals that we conceded and how the pattern went in just a minute. We're going to take a really short pause. Before I do that, if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving a like on the video, subscribing to the channel uh, if your brand's spanking you as well. It really, really does help. I'll be back in just a second and we'll do the story of the game. Right. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part two. Okay. So, story of the game. Well, to put it into context, because I really did feel at the end of the first half that we didn't deserve to be behind. So, my big issue and my big concern from last night comes with regards to the performance after the break rather than before it. I don't think we were great before it, but I thought we were competitive. And I thought that if any team looked likely to score, it was us rather than them. Now, how likely, you know, that's up for debate. And, and I accept that. But we certainly were good value to at least at the bare minimum be level. West Ham went in at half time, one nil up, and they had zero attempts at goal in the first period. Zero. The goal was an own goal. Obviously, it came on 16 minutes. Delivery comes into the near post area. Ben White's got to do better. He's got to do better. I thought Ben White had a really bad night. Um, you know, his his clearance, half-assed clearance, really, or, or clearance into a dangerous area led to uh, the third goal as well. So I was disappointed with Ben White on the night. He was just off balance as he met that ball and he, he couldn't control 
where it was going to end up. He, he just was uh, approached it from the wrong angle. I think he got caught out a little bit by the delivery. Maybe he got caught on his heels as the delivery came over and he couldn't shift his weight and momentum the other way to, to head it the other way. I don't know. Um, lots and lots of discussion about the foul on Aaron Ramsdale. Undoubtedly a foul. No question about that in my mind. Now, I accept that there is a debate around whether or not Aaron Ramsdale would have got across and dealt with that situation um, had he not had his shirt pulled, because I don't think it's guaranteed that he would have. Um, you know, you look at it, he's still quite a way away. And actually, he does run into Gabriel after he has his shirt pulled. But VAR's in play. That goal doesn't stand. It's as simple as that. Now, what I've seen this morning, sort of looking at some of the reaction to the game, reading through social media and all the rest of it, and scrolling through YouTube where there have been sort of post-match reaction clips put out and stuff, is people saying, um, oh, um, Arteta used it as an excuse and Arteta was livid about that. Arteta mentioned it, but it wasn't the first thing he mentioned. And and I don't think for a second that Arteta was trying to use that as an excuse. I really, really don't. Um, I think he mentioned it because he should mention it. I think we're at this point where now that we have VAR, we can't go back. We need to fix it. We need to make it more effective. We need to get it to a place where more people are satisfied with it and we feel like it's enhancing the game more often than it is hindering it. That's what we need to do with VAR. To just take it away in competitions, to me, is, is weird. Um, and when you know that, that the capability is there, particularly at London Stadium, it makes it even more annoying. But look, that goal doesn't go in. The game's very different. And maybe Arsenal start the second half in a different way on a level footing. Maybe we get to 60 minutes and it's nil-nil and we can make a couple of changes to go on and win it. You know, it does impact the game because what happens is when West Ham take the lead, as we know, um, they do go into a low block. They do go that little bit more direct, which we saw for their second goal, which was brilliantly taken, by the way, by Mohamed Kudus. Just a quick apology, by the way. To those of you that are getting ads on the live stream, um, as I mentioned on a stream the other day, um, it is something new on YouTube and I should turn it off before I start the stream because the default setting is for it to be on. And apologies, I just forgot um, before this stream um, started. It is early in the morning. I've been up since God knows what time. Um, and uh, yeah, it just slipped my mind. I can't change it once the stream starts. So I do apologize for that. Um but yeah, it's it's something I've got to remember to do. I've got to get into the habit of doing because it, it wasn't a thing uh, two or three weeks ago. So my apologies uh, with regards to that. Anyway, um, second goal, five minutes into the second half. You're trailing away at West Ham. Guys, just, just go out there and get a foothold in the game. Go out there and take control of the game. Take charge of the game. Make sure that for the first 10, 15 minutes of that second half, you do not give anything cheap away. And then you can start building and then you can start getting a foothold and then you can start playing your game and taking more and more risks as the clock runs down. The nature of that goal was so frustrating. It's a direct long ball over the top of, yep, you've guessed it, Alexander Zinchenko. Mohamed Kudus takes a great touch inside. Fair play to him. Should Gabriel get out closer? Uh, or sorry, quicker to him? I think there's an argument that says he should. Um, should Zinchenko be more reactive? Should he challenge for the ball over the top of his head better to at least give Mohamed Kudus something to think about as he's taking that touch and cutting inside? I think we know that Zinchenko is not a very good defender. And if we know it, 
then you can bet your bottom dollar that everybody else that we play against knows it. And therefore, they're going to look to exploit that. And that is exactly what West Ham United did. 2-0, you know, is the game lost? You probably have to say it is. Um, you know, there's... <laughs> You're 2-0 down away from home with a, a sort of mixed match of your first team and your, your second string team. And then three minutes before we end up conceding the third goal, on come Rice and Tomiyasu, the two changes that I mentioned to try and give us a bit of stability. And bang, within three minutes, we concede another one. This one came from a poor Ben White clearance, a strike towards goal, took a deflection on its way, which caught Aaron Ramsdale out, to be fair to him. And all of a sudden we're 3-0 down and it's game over. Which then made what happened after even more confusing to me. Now, let me know in the chat if you disagree with this. But I just think that if you didn't deem this game important enough for your best players to start in it. Players, by the way, who in Odegaard, Martinelli and Saka have all been carrying injuries in recent weeks. Why would you then bring them on at this stage? Was it to send a message? That question was put to Arteta after the game and he denied it. No, 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 it wasn't to send a message. If I want to send a message, I do it with my words, he said. It just, to me, didn't make sense. And that, for me, was the point where I just went, what is this? Like in the in the lead up to that point, I just thought to myself, look, it's clearly not a priority. He's picked a weak inside. It hasn't worked out on the night. I wasn't too downbeat about it. I wasn't too fussed about it, genuinely. Um, and especially when I, I picked up my phone, had a glance and saw that Newcastle were 2-0 up at Old Trafford, um, it made me laugh. And, and I kind of just thought, whatever, let this one go. You know, the competition isn't the priority. Let it go. And um, as long as we go and put in a performance with fresh legs up at Newcastle on Saturday, then, then I can take this. But then you bring those players on. And then I spend the next however long it was, like what, they, Martinelli and Saka came on on 66 minutes. So I spent the last, like what, 25 minutes of the game biting my fingernails and hoping desperately that none of them pick up a problem. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the start. If you're going to rotate, you got to rotate in an effective manner. For example, don't play Saka and Martinelli, but pick one of them because otherwise you're going to weaken us significantly. You don't have to play. If Jorginho and Rice are both going to play at the weekend, you don't have to pick both of them. Pick one of them. You know, I, I just think that, for example, you know, I, I just, sorry, I just think that if you're going to rest and, and sort of let this one go by the wayside, then do that. Don't then start trying to rectify what your initial decision was to the point where you're then putting at risk key players ahead of a game that you've told us all based on your team selection is way, way more important. That's just the way I see it. But anyway, um, I want to touch on a few individual performances um, before I take a couple of your questions. I'm a bit pushed for time today. I need to get into the 90 min studio um, very shortly for our, our weekend preview show, of course. But Kai Havertz is one that I think we need to discuss. I think in the first 20, 30 minutes of the game, he was one of Arsenal's better players. And that's not saying a lot in the sense of, I felt like he was competing. He was making challenges. He was putting his body about and he was trying to, to sort of grab a foothold of the game. He did win us a few free kicks and all that, but 
on the ball, he, he was largely ineffective, I have to say that. Um, but in the second half, his performance completely went off a cliff. And I understand why people are starting to ask the question. And as Gunnerblog tweeted last night, the whole song, um, 60 million down the drain, whatever, the irony of that is kind of being lost at the moment um, in that it does feel like 60 million down the drain um, to a lot of people. And, you know, I was willing to give him some time at the start and I'm still willing to give him a bit more time, but he's got to be one of those players that comes in and proves himself with opportunities rather than a starter now. And again, I know this wasn't Arsenal's starting eleven, but if he kind of starts, um, you know, up at Newcastle, then I think there's going to be a lot of question marks, unless it's up front, in which case I'm okay with it because I thought Eddie Nketiah, which brings me on nicely to him, was awful yesterday, really bad. And it's frustrating because he goes and scores a hat-trick against Sheffield United. Confidence should be sky high. Yet, he wasn't involved in the game at all. And, and you can always say that with a striker, it's about service. It's about getting him into the box. It's about getting him into the right positions, all of that stuff. But to me, he's got to do more. The ball just does not stick with Eddie. You can play the ball up to him and he will not control it. He will not buy you time and bring someone else into the game. He doesn't have the dribbling capability that Gabriel Jesus does. He's just such a downgrade on Jesus is unreal for me. And it's why after Saturday, when we were all waxing lyrical about his hat-trick, I was delighted for him. I really, really was. And I felt that that confidence boost might have taken his game on in the coming weeks. But if he can't follow that up, then what's the point? And, and his performance yesterday, I thought, was really, really poor. A couple of others. Um, I mentioned Ben White, so I'm not going to go over that again. Ben White is generally very consistent, very good. Just had an off night last night. Um, give me one second. Beg your pardon. Um, Leandro Trossard, awful. Maybe his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt. Zero in terms of effectiveness. Um, didn't get involved in the game anywhere near enough. Fabio Vieira, another one. Zero, nothing from him last night. Reese Nelson started the game quite brightly, I thought, and faded. Um, it's, yeah, it's, as I say, they're fringe players for a reason. And if you put too many fringe players on the pitch at the same time, that's what you get. A laboured, lacklustre performance. And you deserve to get beat at the end of the day. The only other thing I really want to comment on before I take a few of your questions. And as I say, I am pushed for time. So please do start getting them in the chat box and I'll take two or three before um, we sign out. The booing of Declan Rice. I know I shouldn't care about this as an Arsenal fan, but I just thought it was really, really poor from those West Ham fans that did it. Now, I know they didn't all do it. I know that some of them did. I know that others gave him a stand innovation. That's what Declan Rice deserves. And I'll tell you why. Because throughout that process over the course of the summer, Declan Rice conducted himself with class. And the way he talks about West Ham is with love, with uh, respect, with gratitude for everything that they did for him as a football club as well. He gave them a ton. Let's not forget that. But he speaks about them in such a positive way. I hate that he got that reception from some of the West Ham supporters. And I think it shows a lack of class. Uh, I really do. And again, I'm not seeking to, to label them all the same because I know that a lot of them gave him a, a positive reception. But to, I just couldn't get my head around it. Genuinely, it was really... 
uh, really frustrating to see. And, and I felt for him a bit. I really did. Um, uh, Al Cesar says, you overrate this team and the players and think they are better than they actually are. Stop being so naive. I've never told you that a team of our fringe players is any good. I don't think I've ever said that. In fact, if you go back to previous episodes following Europa League games and following Carabao Cup games of the past, I've always said that I think Arteta struggles with this. I think that he struggles to find that right balance. And if you change it too much and you put 11 players together that don't play with one another week in, week out, you are going to get weaker relationships throughout the pitch. And if you have weaker relationships, um, if there's a lack of familiarity between one another in terms of their habits in a game situation, you end up with performances like that, lackluster performances. Sometimes you can get over the line with those performances because games can be decided in moments and with efficiency at both ends of the pitch. But when I saw that team yesterday, I said we were going to lose. I'm not surprised. And some of you were criticising me for picking a similar team in my preview show and then predicting that we were going to lose. You went, why you pick that team if you predict that we're going to lose? And I said, because that's what I think should be done in terms of where this competition ranks. And that's why I'm not that massively fussed about it. But I didn't have high expectations. So for me to pick a, a team that was exactly the same, except for two players, then predict we were going to lose. And then you to come on here the next day and tell me that I'm naive because I overrate this team makes zero sense whatsoever. Uh, Ray Beam says, hi, Harry. Do you think that Trossard is more effective as a sub rather than a starter? Can't remember him having a good game recently when he starts. I think you make a great point. I, I really do. It is a pattern that is starting to emerge, isn't it, with regards to Leandro Trossard. And it's a shame um, because I think he is really talented. And sometimes he comes on the pitch and you think to yourself, how is this guy not starting week in, week out? But then he turns in performances like that and you kind of get it, don't you? Amira says, Harry, look at Dr. Raj's tweets regarding subs. Yesterday could have been a training day if there wasn't a game. Might as well give them some game minutes um, rather than a few measly sprints during the warm down. Yeah, I get that, you know, you want to give them some minutes before the game, especially in the case of Martin Odegaard, I think. Um, but there's a risk factor with that as well, isn't there? There's risk involved in doing that because you could end up picking up an injury that is um, that is a problem for you moving forward. Uh, Odradek says, um, do you think it's the lack of leadership on the field that hurt our chances yesterday? We played fine in the first half. Yeah, possibly. I think you've got a lot of very quiet characters on the pitch and not very vocal people, you know, and you take sort of Saliba out of the side, who is is quite, is a leader in a different way, you know, kind of shows it by example. You take Rice out, you take Saka and Martinelli out, two of the players that we look to to make things happen. You take Jesus out, obviously not through our own choice. Then yeah, you, you do lack leaders. You've got Jorginho, who I think is quite vocal and was the captain. I actually thought Jorginho was okay yesterday, um, to be honest with you. Um, I thought he handled the pressure that was being applied on him in midfield quite well. Um, but yeah, you, you take leaders out, then you're going to get a lack of leadership. I, I think, yeah, you, you, you're right there. Um, Let's take this one from John, who says, uh, please talk about Kivior. I actually thought Kivior was one of the one, maybe two players that came out of the game yesterday with any credit at all. I thought he was composed. I thought he was calm. I thought he did a pretty good job 
a lot of the time. You've got to remember as well, Kivio's playing on the right side of, of the defence when he's a left-footed player, which just throws him off a little bit, I think. Um, but he did a, a good job. Um, had Ben White next to him, who didn't have a good game as well. I don't think Gabriel was amazing yesterday either. There was a drop-off in terms of his normal level of performance. But yeah, as I say, he was one of the few that that looked okay. I need to watch the game back again in full, and I will do that today at some point. And I'll probably be able to comment a little bit more on his individual performance now that I'm going to be looking out for it. Um, but yeah, just generally, it, it wasn't good enough. And although, as I've said already, this was nowhere near the top of my priority list, and I'm not going to cry over spilt milk and all the rest of it, it is disappointing not so much the fact that we went out, but the way we just failed to compete. And you look at some of these players, and I know that there'll be a lot of people that make cases for some of these players to start sort of in the Premier League. But then you look at that performance last night and you think, well, hold on a minute, Arteta's right not to rotate X and Y and Z when it comes to the Premier League. So, yeah, um, lots to mull over, lots to think about. But listen, we can't dwell on it. Focus turns now to Newcastle United. And of course, we'll be previewing that game uh, on this uh, podcast tomorrow. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Look, a big thank you to every single one of you uh, for joining me. I'm going to leave it there before uh, my throat goes completely. Um, really, really appreciate you jumping on, supporting as always. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on audio, please, please do leave us a review, particularly if you're an Apple podcast listener. Uh, it really, really does help us. So um, a big thanks to each and every one of you, as always, and I will see you all soon. Until next time, goodbye.